0: Hey, guys, this is Corinne and Sabrina. We are the hosts of Two oh, Girls, oh, One ghost. ghost. We are here to tell you spooky, scary, spine-chilling ghost stories. Listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See we you on the on other, other side. side. Very spooky.
1: The Mysterious Circumstances Podcast is hosted by Justin Rimmel. This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. When I went over to her house, we conducted about a two hour interview. And during that time, she told us a lot of interesting experiences. But I knew she was holding something back. And at the end of the interview, she finally admitted to us that she was attacked and raped by the ghost. At that time, we thought she was probably crazy. The lady screamed out, It's in my bedroom. We ran in there. She shouted out, it's over in the corner. We fired our Polaroid camera in the direction that she said. We didn't see anything, but the picture came out, bleached out white completely. She shouted out again, it's in the corner. Again, we fired our camera, and it was bleached out completely. At that point, I thought the camera was just malfunctioning. I waited till she said it was gone, and I took two control pictures. Those pictures are perfectly normal pictures. The only difference? She said it was in the corner, in the first ones, and in these, she said it was gone. A few moments later, we felt a cold breeze of air coming through the door, accompanied by a horrible stench, a stench so foul, some people were vomiting. We fired the camera in the direction that that breeze was flowing towards us, and again, the picture was bleached out completely, except at the bottom of the doorway, you can see a little round ball of light. A few minutes later, she screamed out, it's right in front of my face. We fired the camera, and the face was completely obliterated. Once again, I wanted a control picture. I waited till she said it was gone, and I took the final picture. And this is a perfect, normal picture. It's just dark because we didn't adjust the setting. There's a scratch on it, which we put on it when we tried to clean it a little bit. But otherwise, it's a normal picture. The only difference between these two, in one, she said it was in front of my face, in the other one, she said it was gone. Initially, they would say, well, you're hallucinating. So then I would look at them and say, well, we've got 20 witnesses. And they would say, well, then it's obviously mass hallucination." we started seeing balls of light lighting up the walls and everybody in the room would see this and the lights would get bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter and at some point i finally started talking to it and i said well if you're really here come off the wall because what i was concerned was that somebody in the room was faking it and they were projecting the light onto the wall well when i asked that question the light lifted off the wall floated into the middle of our room started spinning and twisting and expanding in different directions simultaneously it had full parallax, we could see it from all sides, and I had nine professional photographers set up in the room that were shooting it from all sides. The lights came in, it was like, it almost came in like in a, in a, in a state of anger. It almost came, all right, all right, here I am, this is me. And it came in, I kind of did a little thing in the group, and then it was gone. It was the most extraordinary thing we have ever come across. It happened over and over again. We experienced a plethora of phenomena during that investigation. The part that interested me the most was the fact that, um, what we saw, we were able to get on film. All the instruments started clicking away. So I knew everyone was seeing this at the same time that I was. They were ducking and everyone was saying, oh my God, oh my God, look at that, oh my God. And then Doris started screaming. That was the woman who was being belabored by this creature. house screaming, I don't want to see your lights, show us yourself. Damn you, show us yourself. i started cursing and swearing at it. And there, lo and behold, at that point, it started to appear. It sort of developed a kind of there's a a kind of arm was articulated, it seemed sort of like an arm, and then a neck. And then of all things, a kind of bald head. Now this could have been our imagination, but collectively we saw the same thing, every one of us. We saw the same thing. Uh, part of the struggle to gather evidence to try to uh, understand the film during our investigations, we spend thousands of hours trying to be in the right place at the right time. In the entity case, for some reason, we were there. We were there at the right time. And we were experiencing the phenomena over and over again. Although some of the people there found it frightening, I found it very exciting and exhilarating. That's what I'm in this for. It's an opportunity to witness things that we've been taught all our life cannot be. It's a connection with the unknown.
2: Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances. I am Justin, and I have my very first in-house guest today, Savannah, who is the wife of my co-reviewer, Boone.
0: Hey. Hey.
2: (laughs) This is pretty fun, though. I mean, this is the first time I've actually had somebody here recording with me, so... It's weird. It's new for me. (laughs) It's weird for me, too. So, like, I can usually do whatever I want Out of view of that camera, and I can't do that today,
0: so... (laughs) No, I will see everything.
2: Pretty much, yeah.
0: glad you have a shirt on.
2: Yeah, I do have a shirt on, (laughs) I have pants on, and even socks. Socks might come off, though. I don't know. So, Savannah, tell us how you got into podcasts and all that good stuff.
0: Well, it's your fault. It is. (laughs) Um, Every since that ghost hunt we went on, I dove headfirst, I binge listen to your podcast and then started branching out into true crime mm-hmm. and other paranormal pretty much anything to make me think during the mundane mm-hmm. workday.
2: agreed before i go to play this recording i actually just played a promo for two girls one ghost which is uh, a podcast that i enjoy quite a bit if you haven't subscribed to it you should definitely check it out and I chose to put it at the beginning of a paranormal episode, since we're gearing up for Halloween.
0: Sweet. I'll have to check that one out.
2: Oh, you should, yeah. yeah. Uh, what are you going to be for Halloween, Savannah?
0: Myself? That's scary enough. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask my husband.
2: should. <laughs> okay. That's good. I guess we're going to be talking about The uh, the Haunting of Doris Bither. I've heard her name pronounced probably four different ways. But I think the the general consensus on how it is pronounced is byther.
0: Yeah, that's what I found, too.
2: Okay. So, it's pretty much in 1974 in Culver City, California. Um, a woman who is the inspiration for a book and a movie. The movie is called "An Entity. I believe it came out in 1982. Um, it's some pretty freaky shit. And... We have two quote-unquote quote unquote, scientists who, with a team, went over there for about 10 weeks and documented everything that happened to this woman because she had some pretty outlandish claims, um, and that actually ties back her kids claimed a lot of the same things and still do to this day, um, the stories of which obviously are ever-changing for one of them which it's hard to, to pinpoint the what actually happened outside of the people who were involved with it. And you'll see a lot of self-contradiction and stuff like that when we start getting into facts and theories. But, Savannah, you want to go ahead and lead us off?
0: Sure. Um, so, Doris Byther, originally Doris McGowan, was born in the Midwest. I couldn't find a specific state. Mm-hmm. I mean, her whole past is kind of convoluted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the exact year is also not mentioned, so I kind of tracked back from her reported death year, which was what I could find the most of was 1999 mm-hmm. at around a- age 58 or 59.
2: But it does vary, right?
0: It does. Um, there's reports that she died at the age of 59 in 1999, <laughs> or You're 58. Scared me. Or she died at 58 in 1995 or 58 in 1996. So basically backtracking from that point, um, I think her year of death was 1999 and her birth year would have been about 1941 Mm -hmm. or 42. Her family moved from the Midwest to California when she was 10. Um, There aren't any real details of her childhood other than it was turbulent. Mm -hmm. Her parents were alcoholics. Um, She had a brother. I couldn't find out if he was older or younger. I
2: couldn't either. I just knew she was quite rebellious because of her upbringing. There was, like, a lot of abuse, but it wasn't specified yeah, like on what, what kind, kind, which in poltergeist cases usually plays a factor. Right.
0: Um, I want to say he was younger, just based on... Like what happened later on in life, she was disowned Mm -hmm. in her teen years because of an altercation. And then later on, after she was disowned and grown, they left everything to the son instead Mm -hmm. of her. So I want to say he's younger just because I don't think she would have been so shocked if he was the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. So after the altercation, she went on to have um, a number of failed marriages. Yeah. Barry Taff, one of the parapsychologists, he said that she was into seances and drugs and alcohol yeah. and played with a Ouija board.
2: I did hear a lot of that, and that was pretty much only from him. Yeah. And saying that, you know, saying what you just said seances, Ouija boards, she was just really rebellious. I do know that a lot of her relationships later on were abusive as well. Mm-hmm. So, a vicious cycle. Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: Well, he said that her son said it, but in his interview, he never says anything about that. And I mean, he basically contradicts everything that Taft says anyway, Yep. the whole teenage altercation to go back to that. Mm -hmm. That's what bases my theory of when she was born. I feel like she could have become pregnant if she was drinking and rebellious and whatever. Mm -hmm. I feel like she could have gotten pregnant. And that's why her parents disowned her like in the fifties. That wouldn't have been uncommon.
2: Very true. Very true. And she literally, when she was disowned, I mean, she was kicked out on the street. Right.
0: And her aunt and uncle were brought up too. hmm But, I mean, not a lot of detail. It was just, I thought it was weird that an aunt and uncle were brought up to have also disowned her. hmm Okay. So back to birth year. Her eldest son was 16 in 1974. Mm-hmm. So that would have put it right around the age of this altercation yep. of her getting pregnant. And so Taff was in his mid-20s. Mm -hmm. When they started the investigation and described her as in her 30s, but she never would tell them her exact age.
2: Yeah, which was, I found that extremely odd. Right. I mean, they all knew that she was older, but never specifically said how old she was.
0: I mean, come on, ladies lie about their age sometimes.
2: (laughs) Um, How did she end up, I don't know, do you want to, are we even at the point where she moves to Culver City yet?
0: Um, after she found out that her parents died Mm. and left everything to her brother, then she moved from Santa Monica to Mm -hmm. Culver City. And then apparently, right after she moved in or shortly after there, a Mexican woman came by her house and pretty much told her, get out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Some, some, she said a smaller, smaller Mexican woman came up to her and she didn't know who she was, never saw her, talked to her before, and literally just says, you know, this house is evil, you need to get out of here. And turned around and walked away, and when Doris tried to ask her more about it, she said the woman pretty much just ignored her and just kept on walking. Right. And, I mean, shortly after that, I think, is when some of the activity
0: started. And Her son did say that she had activity prior to moving into that house. Yeah, and
2: that's true, too. I. Did forget about that, which, I mean, that plays a lot, I guess, into the to the theories yeah. of, like, poltergeist activity and, like, a lot of the shit she had going on emotionally.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, she had a rough life. She had a pretty fucked up life. Uh, So, she had four children. Mm-hmm. Um, three boys and a girl. Three boys and a girl. Sorry. Your door, door just, you? like, creaked and everything <laughs> We're talking about ghosts and then the door moves. It's just the wind. Yeah, it's
2: just the wind. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep that in, by the way.
0: (laughs) Great. Um, So, yeah, she had a daughter who was six, three boys who were 10, 13, and 16. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think the most vocal one out of all of them was Brian Harris. He's really the only one that will come forward. Will come forward. Um, I did read a couple things about The two other boys and the daughter, very, very, very lightly talking about it, but would never really come out and, like, say anything. Right. They would just pretty much admit, yeah, that was my mom. Yeah, this weird shit happened. But that was, like, about it. Brian Harris did, like, full-on interview.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but he changed his name. Or was that his dad's name, maybe?
2: I think it was his dad's name. But I'm not 100% sure. And and you. I
0: couldn't find out where Byther came from. Which I, marriage that was. Exactly.
2: I couldn't either because she had a lot of relationships along the way and then her past is so skewed and she herself was so secretive about it mm-hmm. that you couldn't hardly track anything down.
0: She should have worked for the CIA.
2: She should have. <laughs> she should have. Uh, Barry Taft has consulted the CIA. Has
0: he? I didn't see that. Yeah,
2: he's uh, done work for the NSA, the CIA, um, pretty much every government agency that there is. Oh, now, I,
0: I did see that he mentioned a lot of those, but well, I don't know and, that he worked with uh, them.
2: This is, he consulted them. He was a consultant. Now, he never goes into detail about what... You know, what he consulted them on, and you only find this information on his website. Interesting. So, it's...
0: Take that as you will. You can take that (laughs) as you will.
2: Because as we'll come to find, Barry Taff loves himself a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it was after they moved to Culver City and they started having, like, the paranormal shit started escalating quite a bit.
0: Right, and then the children started experiencing and, yeah, it too.
2: and the children started experiencing it. Um, I believe that's when Doris was in the bookstore. Yes. And she overhears Barry Taff and was named <laughs> Carrie Carrie Ganger, who are pretty much paranormal researchers. And what it is is Barry Taff worked for the now... Disbanded Department of Parapsychology at UCLA. I think it was from sixty-eight to seventy-nine, or sixty-nine to seventy-eight. I
0: have it somewhere and all of these pages and pages of notes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that is a fucking lot, by the way. <laughs>
0: it's like a small novel here.
2: That's quite
0: amazing. <laughs> hey, I had to come prepared. <laughs> Your listeners expect. Research.
2: (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. But, um, Barry Taff is, has a doctorate in psychophysiology. And it sounds so fucking made up, but what it is, is it's basically physiology and psychology rolled into one. And like me and you were talking earlier, it's like, You know, psychology is the study of like why you're scared of water, why you have a fear of spiders or something like that, where psychophysiology is more of how those fears affect your brain and how they affect you physically. So he had a doctorate in that and he also had a minor in, was it biomedical engineering um, from UCLA as well. So, I mean, he was no dummy, but the fact that he bases his whole knowledge on paranormal from a department that didn't last very long right. at a college.
0: Well, and he doesn't even claim to think it's paranormal. Exactly.
2: But he worked in that field for so fucking long, yeah. it was unreal. And um, Carrie, Carrie Gaynor... I really couldn't find too much on him yeah. like personally. Um he was he definitely was the main person who documented everything there. But basically she overhears them talking in a bookstore and confronts them saying, "Hey, my house is haunted." And this was I believe early August of 1974. Yeah. And you said by August 22nd they were going to the house. Um, to start researching uh, to start trying to document all this activity and find out what's going on but I mean when they first got to the house it was in a lot of disarray you know the Barry Taff goes and says the house was condemned twice
0: which Brian Harris says is bullshit
2: Brian Harris <laughs> said that it was bullshit and in all honesty I did find that, the one of the times that Barry Taft claims that the house was condemned to the point where the family had to move out, um, that was not the case, it was the homeowner because they rented, yes, rented. Um, the homeowner had sold the house, is yep. what it is, so they had to move out. I found that too, yeah. So,
0: I think he was just playing into that narrative of. He just makes her seem like this horrible alcoholic yeah. And just like a terrible home And all these yeah. kids are angry all the time mm-hmm. Because their mom's drinking And
2: they're listening to fucking Black Sabbath Yeah,
0: and Uriah Heep,
2: Yeah, Barry Taft at one point blamed a lot of the shit That was going on on the kids listening to Black Sabbath albums
0: Like many, many more homes would have been haunted In, that, in the yeah. 70s if that was the case <laughs>
2: Yeah, this was 74, you know? Like, me and you were laughing about it earlier. It's just like, fucking really?
0: Like, who wasn't listening to that? Uh-huh. Don't blame the music. I said don't that blame before. the
2: music, yeah. I guess, Savannah, why don't you tell us, like, what kind of stuff was going on and, and what Doris was, was claiming? Um,
0: well, Brian Harris says that the kids first said that it was more of a biting, scratching, pushing... I guess you could call those smaller attacks... And then it eventually escalated to the point where Doris said that three entities, well, two were holding her down while one raped her.
1: Yep.
0: And she had bruises on her thighs, arms. I mean, basically any evidence of a physical assault. She she just couldn't see what was doing it. Yes. And again, Barry Taft goes into this saying, he does not believe that it is spectrophilia.
2: Yeah, and spectrophilia is is the term given for spectral rape, pretty
0: or much. Or sex with a specter. Uh, yeah,
2: like an entity of sorts, I right. suppose. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be what, like, a succubus and incubus is? That was my much? thought.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's comments about that on his oh, website, sure. yeah. too. Yeah.
2: yeah, we'll read some of those comments, because...
0: It's like interesting. It's, it's
2: very interesting, and I'm not. I'm not trying to bash Old Barry Taff here, but he's very one sided.
0: He's very. He he states on his website that the data has to lead you to your theory, mm-hmm. but in everything he's written and his interviews, he had his theory, and then he tried to make the data back that up. Yes,
2: that is exactly what he did. And then on the other hand, I mean, you have these two guys that are working together. Carrie and Barry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is just so everybody knows Carrie is a guy. And he was very adamant about documenting everything he had. And I mean, when she would get attacked, there would be bruises that would appear, like on her inner thighs, in her arms.
0: And things you would see with a rape victim. With a
2: rape victim. It was very very intriguing to be honest with you and
0: and i mean her children witnessed this stuff happening they saw her being thrown ar- yeah. ac- around the room uh her oldest son got thrown across the room yep and that's i mean that's in the movie too but it actually i mean brian backs that up in his interview
2: yep did you watch the movie i
0: did is it good Um,
2: I didn't watch it, but I heard it does not take long for shit to start happening. No, it's pretty much immediate. That's what I heard.
0: It gets into it. And I mean, okay, the book is fiction based off of an actual event. Mm -hmm. Uh, Frank DeVlita, I I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He wrote the book. Yeah. And then it was eventually made into the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's highly dramatized. There's a lot of stuff that did not happen. And even Brian's like, you know, like... Some of this is bullshit, but he, oh, what's her name that played Doris? I can't remember oh, her name. Oh, it's, um. I have it like oh in these notes, too. He want to say Barbara Hershey. Yes, Barbara Hershey. Okay. He says she did such a good job. He felt like he was back yeah. there. Like, that's what his mom experienced. Mm-hmm. And that's what they experienced. Other than, like, the later stuff with Barry and Carrie.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and when I posted about us doing this episode in the group, a lot of people are like, that movie fucking scared the shit out of it's,
0: me. It's very graphic. Is it? Um, yeah. Boone fell asleep hmm. when I was watching it. He didn't wake up until there were some explosions and stuff. But of course. I was just sitting there, like, on the edge of the couch, like, holy <laughs> shit. What is this? Like, what is happening?
2: <laughs> oh, no, yeah. So, I guess some of the stuff that was documented, which... It's really weird because, like you would touch base on quite a bit, was the fact that there's no video or audio documentation. Right.
0: Even though they had, like, 30 people, yeah. a big crew.
2: That's the thing. Barry Taft claims that there wasn't that many people. And you can tell by probably the most famous photograph of it. There's a group of people there. Mm -hmm. Like, you can see at least, like, eight or nine people in a circle around Doris Bither as these orbs are just circling around her, and one of them's going in an arc above her head. And they've had so many people try to, you know, say this photograph is fake, but the dimension, it's dimensional.
0: Right. The um, analysis of it, they had a professional analyze it and mm-hmm. the light should have bent on the corner on the corner. There's I'm a, kidding. that picture is actually cropped down. There's two mm-hmm. orbs in that picture and like the most famous one is cropped out. But the second orb off to like, if you're looking at it, it's on the left side of it. That one is probably most notable from what the expert said. Mm-hmm. And I don't have his theme. but because that one had no bend to it and it had like yeah. a tail he said that really they should have used that one for their quote unquote proof.
2: Yeah. But at the end of the day, they tried debunking it and Carrie Gaynor was the first one to try to debunk it by reflection. They Mm -hmm. were reflecting off of every single thing that they could in the room and they could not debunk it. So what they do is they take out their Polaroid and Doris is pointing to corners of the room where the entity is and is saying it's over there. So Carrie would snap a Polaroid of it. When it came out, it would be all white, just all white. And then she'd say it's over in that corner. So Barry would take a picture in that corner, or not Barry, but uh, Carrie would take a picture in that corner and the Polaroid would be all whited out. Now what they did was they asked Doris, like, okay, is the entity gone now? She said, yeah, it's over there, you know, like on the other side of the room. So they would point the Polaroid back where she said the entity was the last time and they would take a picture and the picture would come out. Totally fine. Totally fine. And these are Polaroids too. Like if there's one thing to be said about Polaroids... Is that you can't you can't, fake. you can't fake Polaroids, and that was one of the huge things. Like especially back in like the eighties, when it came to paranormal type shit, was Polaroids were key. Absolutely, because of that. But what else you got to add, Savannah?
0: Um. Well, there were actually four entities mm-hmm. in the home. The three that were attacking Doris, as well as the children, mm-hmm. but then there was a fourth. That the kids came to call Mr. Who's It? Yep. And a lot of people find that really creepy that (sighs) it was so familiar that they named it.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Brian Harris says that they thought it was their grandfather Mm -hmm. because it told him it was his grandfather. And he even says that it looked like him. But we talked about that, like, how would he know what he looked like or how did it tell him?
2: Yeah, there's no facial features on any of these. And like, I kept reading about, I think it was the bigger entity because I know the two smaller entities were the ones that would hold her down Mm -hmm. while the third one would rape her. And the third one apparently was from what they said, you could see the outline of like a, a torso. chiseled
0: physique a is chiseled what I said. A physique yes. is
2: exactly what they said. So like this thing was ripped, basically. Yeah. And I know Carrie I know Carrie and Barry both said that there was activity. And I mean that's the one of the very few things that That Barry Taff will come forward and admit.
0: Yeah, I think they said that they saw it too.
2: They said that they saw it too. And he said that she did display some kind of telekinetic abilities. But he is so adamant about proving his theory. That it's all in her head. That it's all in her head. Even though he admits to seeing it and seeing the activity because, I mean, they were seeing all kinds of orbs fly around. There was shit flying off the walls all the time. She would physically get beat. Mm-hmm. Just
0: slapped around. Slapped
2: around. And, I mean, like I said, physically raped. And, you know, she would report to the paranormal research group about what would happen. And there would be, like we had said, bruises consistent with a rape victim. Mm-hmm. So.
0: But again, it's interesting that. No MD, no doctor mm-hmm. was consulted. Yeah. No psychiatrist, uh, psychologist. These people were not brought in as part of the investigation. And I think they did themselves a disservice, yeah, not doing that because a doctor should have documented her physical state. But I also think that she rebuffed that request because at one point Barry says that he didn't tell her to seek mental help like from a therapist Mm -hmm. because he thought they'd get kicked out. And I thought that played more into his motives rather than helping her.
2: And they were there for a full on 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. I believe
0: they did eight separate investigations Mm -hmm. between August 22nd, 1974 and October 31st, 1974.
2: And it's so interesting that they ended it on Halloween. It It is. It's kind of peculiar.
0: And they said that that night nothing happened.
2: I find that on Halloween, hard to believe I, really <laughs> do. I think Barry was fucking scared. He's like, "Listen, dudes, it's fucking Halloween. Let's just He's go." Like,
0: I'm gonna leave at 9:30. Peace out. Yeah. Have a happy life. <laughs> <laughs> I've done all I can do. <laughs> I'm
2: leaving before 10 p.m. Yep. And I mean, from what I understand, the cause of them actually ending the investigation was because Taff and and Grainer couldn't come to that happy medium. About what was going on in the house. Right. After there were a lot of, you know, inter-arguments and fights going on between the researchers to where they were like, fuck it, we're done. Pretty much. And,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, poor Doris. And they also yeah. had another um, case going on at the time, I think. There was another haunting in San Bernardino. Yeah. Around the same yep, time. the same time.
2: And, I mean, obviously this is kind of what they did, but... Right. It's just really... I mean, it's kind of sad in a way, and I mean, I'm, you know, I'll be the first one to say she herself would admit, you know, the the activity would increase when she drank, and Doris did drink a lot. She was...
0: She was self-medicating. She
2: was self-medicating, and I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that she had, like, a pretty fucked up life, the fact that all this stuff going on around her... I would probably drink my ass off Well, and Well, that's
0: what too. Brian said. He, he said, you know, my mom drank to cope with what was going on. She wasn't a bad mom. She was just trying to deal. Yeah. And he did say living there was hell. His brother was mean to him. The older brother was mean to him. And they were just isolated because kids and neighbors would try to come to the house and, mm-hmm. like, take a peek and see what was going on. So they were all very isolated. And I mean, that can amp up the energy too. If yeah. there's all that negative energy at the home on top of this other stuff, mm-hmm. it is sad.
2: It is very sad. And I mean, there was never truly a resolution to anything that was going on. Now, after they moved out the last time, it is stated that after a while, the activity died down over the course of time to the point where it eventually stopped sort of uh, sort of yeah
0: there's later reports that um well and this is again coming from Barry Taff mm-hmm. that Doris contacted him and told him that she was raped again and became pregnant and she did go to the doctor this time mm-hmm. but what I found is they said it was an ectopic or hysterical pregnancy those are two different things so I don't understand why they could say it was Oh, well, it's one or the other. You you can have evidence of an ectopic pregnancy.
2: Well, why don't you tell us what that is?
0: Um, basically, the fertilized egg implants itself in a place other than the uterus, okay. usually the fallopian tube. It's painful, and it's not uncommon for a woman of her age to... She had a lot of boyfriends, her son said. So mm-hmm. he, he's like, yeah, I mean, it's possible one of them got her pregnant. Mm-hmm. And at that age, that could happen. But a hysterical pregnancy is you convince yourself that you're pregnant. Yes. So you are physically have the signs of it. You can even make yourself gain weight and look pregnant. But... If you pee on that stick, it's not going to have, you know, the plus sign or, <laughs> or whatever. Face, it's yeah. been a long time since I've taken one of those. So <laughs> I don't know what they look like anymore.
2: It's our dawn.
0: So, I mean, yeah, the activity died down eventually. And then the pregnancy happened, mm-hmm. which I'm sure threw her off again. I mean, she was I'm mentally sure. unstable. Yeah,
2: she she did have her problems.
0: And, I mean, going through what she went through, she was just trying to find a way to deal with it and Mm -hmm. really had no help. And then she eventually died in 1999 Mm -hmm. from pulmonary arrest.
2: And see, and that's another thing too, about her death. I've heard total organ failure, which definitely could be associated with her drinking habits. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. You know,
2: but I've also heard what you just said, pulmonary arrest, but then I've heard respiratory failure. And then there was one more that I heard, too. So, like, the details around her death are even kind of...
0: Everything about her (laughs) is a mystery.
2: Pretty much, yeah. It's... I wish it was more documented. I mean, there are a lot of photographs. I mean, I can't say a lot. There's maybe, I don't know, half a dozen to a dozen photographs. No audio or video Evidence.
0: They. What did they say? They malfunctioned.
2: Yeah. They during say, the
0: investigation.
2: Exactly. Which. I mean, know, that would pretty, suggest poltergeist activity. It would too. Now, I guess. Um, is there anything you you wanted to touch base on about her story?
0: I have this one article where they have each visit documented and what happened during each visit. The first visit on August 22nd, they went to the home and interviewed the family. All of them gave gave the same story. I mean, there was no question about Mm -hmm. what was happening. It wasn't, oh, well, I saw this, but I saw that. Again, Barry says that the apparitions supposedly had Asian features. He's the only one that says that. The kids did not say that. And from what I understand, the only entity that had facial features was Mr. Who's It? The other three, they mm-hmm. never saw the faces of. And again, Brian says Mr. Who's It looked like their grandpa. They said that these things looked like um, a fog, mm-hmm. translucent, like you could see a shape but not really. Um, so the, I mean, the first visit, she was letting them know, you know, she was sexually assaulted, but no medical records and. Apparently, at that point, they didn't see any of the bruising Mm -hmm. because it had happened previous. Yes. And by the time they got there, all the bruising was gone. Mm -hmm. The eldest son was tossed around along with her.
2: Yeah. At one point in time, the eldest son tried to intervene in one of the attacks and was reportedly struck by lightning. I don't know if that was an exaggeration because I really doubt that he was actually struck by lightning.
0: I think it was more of, like, an electrical charge. That's
2: kind of what I was leaning more towards. Because yeah. when they said that, I'm like, fucking really? I don't think he was struck by lightning, but I, I'm not, you know, discounting the fact that there was something probably that, that wanted him to not be involved. Right. But I found that pretty interesting, but...
0: Well, and I think that there's one account of him actually having a broken arm from that mm-hmm. situation, Yeah. which is also in the movie, so I don't know if the facts are getting crossed between mm-hmm. the movie and the actual events.
2: And that's the bad thing about it, because I'll, I'll admit, I didn't watch the movie, because when I always look into cases like this, I'll watch documentaries or something, but I'll usually wait to watch a movie until afterward, because the Hollywood likes to... Skew facts. Oh yeah, quite they a embellish. Bill, you know, they gotta they gotta make a movie. Absolutely. So, So I mean, I'm looking forward to watching the movie. Yeah,
0: I mean, but from what Brian says, the stuff that happened in the home happened in the home. Like yeah. that was legit. That was legit. That was what he experienced.
2: Pretty much everything that was documented from from Carrie Grainer and 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 Barry Taff and Brian Harris himself is pretty much documented.
0: Right. I mean, it's I'm. They're consistent.
2: They're very consistent. In that aspect. Yeah, and I'm very big on the consistency factor. If, you know, all four people are saying four different things...
0: Then there's a problem. We have a problem. Mm -hmm. So, after the initial visit, you know, Mm -hmm. they interviewed and whatnot, and then they left. And I don't know the date of the second visit. Honestly, the only dates I could find was the the starting point and the stopping point. Mm -hmm. So... At some point, second visit, they come in with cameras and they say that they notice cold spots and a rotting smell and a feeling of pressure in the inner ear. Um, I, yeah, guess- I know.
2: I know Carrie himself said that the, the smell was so overwhelming.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was just basically smelled like death. Yeah. And I mean, it, I don't think at any point it doesn't matter how bad. Your, your living situation is, because Barry accounts that to, well, I mean, the house was condemned, it was fucking a mess, there was shit everywhere, you know, all this other stuff, and that's just not true.
0: No. I mean, I don't doubt that it was messy. There's four kids in there. Exactly. But the smell of death.
2: Yeah. Which is, like, overwhelming. It is pretty a pretty bold statement. Right.
0: So I guess they didn't take any measurements as far as temperature, which I feel like that's odd. Why would they not bring that equipment with them? Especially after the first visit, why not bring all the equipment that you can, nothing to measure air pressure, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then they say the stench is obviously consistent with the destitute circumstances of the family. Mm -hmm. Like you don't smell death in a dirty house. No, you don't. I have two boys. I mean, they stink, but they don't <laughs> smell like death.
2: Exactly.
0: Um, they said the feeling of the pressure in the ears could have just simply resulted from breathing differently because of the smells in the house. There could have been mold, noxious chemicals. Yeah,
2: I mean, it was the 70s. They yeah. really didn't check for shit like that, really.
0: Like, they probably had lead paint all over oh, that place. Yeah, they
2: did. You know, they did.
0: So, apparently, Doris's room was the coldest room. They noted they would walk throughout the house Mm -hmm. and go into her room, and it was a noticeable difference. Even on a hot August night, it was Mm -hmm. cold. Uh, They say at one point during the second visit, a frying pan flew out of the cabinet and followed a curved path over two and a half feet away. Again, this is conjecture, I feel like, because they're like, okay, well, this frying pan flew in an arc out of this cabinet, but... They weren't even really paying attention to it. So it could have been leaning against the door and just fallen out. Exactly. I think some of it was basically like our own ghost hunt. You go in there with this (laughs) heightened sense thinking that something's going to happen. You're going to find something. You're going to find something. Your mind's going to rationalize it and think, oh, that must have been a ghost. Yeah, but our ghost hunt. Yeah, I'm not fucked up shit. uh, There was, but then there was also some stuff I had to like take a step back and be like, no, it's fine. (laughs) Like, it's your head. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, there was a psychic that came in during the second visit. Her name was Candy, and she said that she felt a presence in the bedroom, and that's when Taff rushed in to take the polaroids and you know the bleached out Mm -hmm. polaroids. And I think it was her and Doris together. You know, like the psychic is saying, "Oh, I feel the presence," and Doris is like, "Oh, I see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) it's here." Um, And
2: what did what was Barry's opinion on the Polaroids?
0: I mean, he believed in them. He he
2: couldn't he couldn't dispute them. No, no, because him and Carrie both took the damn Polaroids and. I mean, you can't dispute that shit.
0: I mean, this specific article is coming from a skeptic sca- standpoint, and the guy's like, oh, well, the film could have been bent inside the camera, this and that. Like, I don't think a bent piece of film would have caused a bleached yeah. out.
2: Then you have ten pictures and a Polaroid film, and when you're taking one right after another, after she says an entity is there and then one's not, mm-hmm. one's bleached out, one's perfectly fine.
0: And if it was overexposure, they all would have been ruined, not just some, and then some weren't. So then on the third visit, they did bring a professional photographer who did not obtain any photographic evidence. It could have been a hoax. It could have been headlights coming from outside causing the orbs. Uh, They did eventually on the third visit, Barry notes that they had an attractive female photographer. I'm not sure why that's important, but he states it that way.
2: Okay. And
0: when they dropped yeah. her off after the investigation, she became really sick and started vomiting. And I guess maybe his thought was she's attractive, so maybe this rapist ghost mm-hmm. is going after her as well.
2: To be honest with you, yeah. I mean, I I think that would probably be, like, the only legit reason he would bring it up. Was because she was bait,
0: but that goes against everything that he says about this case oh, being I know. Doris's telekinesis,
2: and that's the joy of buried
0: exactly all of the discrepancies. I mean, basically, the rest of the visits were they had a séance, nothing happened, nothing happened, um, the lights. I mean mm-hmm. that's when they got the orbs over doris and and again like a lot of this is just analysis of each one and I know that you tell people to google it but if they want to know what it is it's the entity case reviewed from barenormality.wordpress.com yeah and it's a I mean it's several pages of describing each investigation and an, analyzing their thoughts on it But a lot of it is a lot of people in this house, there's negative energy, and basically they're taunting it. They're Mm -hmm. ramping up the energy to try to get something to happen, and then they leave. And then it's like, okay, see you, bye. Yeah, We didn't come to a conclusion, so deal with it.
2: Pretty much how they dealt that card to her. Yeah,
0: so then, you know, the final visit on Halloween... Nothing happened. I mean, Nothing. there's in this article, there's literally two sentences that it took place on Halloween and it was less remarkable than the previous one.
2: Moving forward, like me and you had stated, there's not too many facts that we can really go forth with. I guess most of our facts are based around Barry Taff, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. So, and Brian. And Brian. Now, Javier Ortega is, I don't know if he's finished the book yet. He's been writing it for 10 fucking years or something like that.
0: Last I saw, it was close to being completed, but that was in 2013, and I haven't seen anything since.
2: Neither have I. And he's got a site to where, you know, people comment quite often on, hey, you know, is this freaking book done yet? But Ryan Harris did an extensive interview with him. And it really aggravates the shit out of me because Brian contradicts himself so many times in the interview.
0: And it's said that he's a chip off the old block. Apparently, he's also
2: an alcoholic. and And has problems. And apparently, you know, and I can't say that damages his credibility, but it kind of does. It does
0: to an extent. Yeah.
2: And I don't. I wouldn't say so much the alcoholism does, but the fact that he does contradict himself so many times that it brings into question, well, how much of this is true? How much of this is fabricated, but he's the only one that's ever really came forward and has been open about talking about it. I don't even think his siblings really get along with him that well.
0: I highly doubt it. From what
2: I've heard. Because
0: he's probably the vocal one and they Mm -hmm. don't want to bring that stuff up anymore. Yep. And I couldn't even find their names.
2: I couldn't either. I tried looking so hard.
0: So good for them. They've covered their tracks.
2: They have covered their tracks very well. And to be honest with you, they fucking hard telling if they changed their names too. You right. know what I mean? So it's...
0: We don't know who their dads are, so we can't find last names.
2: No. But Barry Taff, like I said, he has a doctorate in psychophysiology, and then he had a minor in biomedical engineering.
0: And like I said, of all people, (laughs) he should have been able to be the one to figure out what was going on and to help her.
2: Because, and that's what he always says. He is the one who says, we made the mistake of not having a psychologist. We made the mistake of not having an M.D. Well, with his doctorate, that would pretty much classify him in, this, in the psychology field, you know, to a certain extent. But he cherry picks. Yes,
0: absolutely. A lot
2: of shit. And did you want to touch base on some of that stuff, Savannah?
0: On what he cherry picks? Mm. Oh, yeah. he Tear him apart. <laughs> his theory is that what we consider paranormal or ghosts is actually stemming from alive people and these people are poltergeist agents who unknowingly act as biological waveguides and three variables come into play to produce this sort of phenomena okay. one the haunted site is located in an electromagnetically anomalous environment mm-hmm. the poltergeist agent is usually prone to seizures or epileptic yes And their biometric field emits what he says is well over 1 million times the amplitude compared to the average person. And how does he know that?
2: And that's kind (laughs) of was my whole thing when I read that, too. I was sitting there reading his whole assessment of the situation, and I was like... This guy, it sounds like a bunch of fucking made-up shit. Right. Pretty much. He
0: just threw in a bunch of big words. Pretty much, yeah. And then tried to make the situation fit what he thought it was. Yes,
2: because the seizure aspect, there have been, and he said he regrets not having, I guess you could say, the right people there to assess the situation to where they could significantly study The connection between epileptics and poltergeist activity, I guess, is the phrase I'm looking for. Yeah. Because that's his whole thing, is she was epileptic, she was having seizures. She never fucking had seizures before that. She never had seizures after that.
0: Nobody reported seeing her have a seizure. Exactly.
2: And I'm pretty sure seizures don't fucking attack your kids. No. (laughs) No.
0: They don't. Um. Personal experience, I have seizures. I'm not epileptic, but I do have seizures, and
2: they've never once al- gone
0: after my kids. It's
2: probably your alcoholism. Oh, scenario.
0: probably. Yeah. Cheers.
2: Cheers to that. Hmm.
0: Oh, the third uh, variable is the poltergeist agent is neurologically wired in a way, usually an inability to cope with stress that enables their nervous system to hyper react to the said. Uh, Electromagnetically anomalous environment and quote unquote wreak paranormal havoc. Mm -hmm. So then he says once these conditions are met, anything could occur.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to dispute the fact that there's a line between a haunting and poltergeist activity. Yeah. I'm not going to dispute the fact that stress, you know, whether it be deep seated or like emotional or a long time coming. It does play a factor in poltergeist activity. I mean, I don't want to say it's been proven, but...
0: But, I mean, there's a lot of cases to where it's linked to teenagers, especially teenage girls. And I think that that was another reason why they thought that it was connected to her teenage sons. Mm -hmm. Because of the turbulent household, she was raised in... A bad environment they weren't in the best environment and
2: yeah and at one point in time he even says that the poultry ice activity quite possibly could have been their kids's fault mm-hmm. and it was their lifestyle and it was stressing them out so much that they were taking it out on on their mother right but that doesn't explain the rape aspect no that makes no sense. Which
0: that will come back personally. into theories, I think. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
0: Um, as far as facts go, I mean, he has his, his three variables of, yeah. the, of what could have occurred. I mean, really the only facts are, you know, she had a rough childhood. Yeah. Um, She's self-medicated mm-hmm. and shit happened to her.
2: A lot of fucking weird shit. Yeah. That's still, in all honesty, very, you know, we bring him up a lot in this episode because he's pretty much the loudest voice for this case, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But he has a very biased opinion. He does. And Carrie was the one who was doing most of the documentation. He was the one who was taking the, a lot of the pictures. He was the one who was trying to figure out. If this was a poltergeist activity, why was it happening? He was the one collecting all the the data and all the statements from the kids and from Doris. Barry Taff, like you had said earlier on in the episode, he went into this situation like, this chick's a fucking liar and I'm going to prove it. Mm-hmm. Like, she's crazy and I'm going to prove it. He... You know, you can go into shit with a skeptic but as a skeptic, but you gotta keep an open mind.
0: And I mean that's the scientific method. If he's supposedly yeah. a scientist, he should be hypothesizing, collecting data, and then forming a theory, not having a theory and then finding data to support that theory. Exactly.
2: And I mean you can talk all day about a about a fucking doctorate and working in a department that is disbanded, that no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I don't get about Barry as well is he's so quick to throw everything out the window, but yet he worked in the para parapsychology department of UCLA for like 10 years. Yeah. And it's like, I understand as a skeptic, I guess why he would want to be in that department because he would want to For one of two reasons, either he would want to broaden his horizons and want to find proof or evidence, or he was just being a condescending asshole and going in there like, yeah, this is wrong. I can prove this wrong. But like, it's all opinionated. It is. It's so opinionated because he wants proof that all the shit's going on. Well, I want him to prove his side, other than just saying a bunch of big fucking words and just throwing everything out the window, you know. But I,
0: I think that that's his mo, so to speak. He has this arrogance about him. He does have these degrees and thousands of investigations yeah. under his belt, and it just comes off like he's smarter than everybody, Pretty and much. he has this one theory. Behind what we call paranormal activity. And he is so determined to prove that he is right, that he will not open himself up to think that anything else could be possible. Mm -hmm.
2: That's pretty fucking much exactly right. He's not open to anything else because he's so, I don't want to say stubborn, but he doesn't. It's like a lot of people that contact me about theories about cases that I have done. It's like, well, what's, what's, you know, what's your theory on, on this or even cases that I haven't done, you know, it's like, what's your theory on this? And I'll say my theory and it'll be a, well, I don't agree with that. That's not probably how it happened. And it's like, well, that's the joy of a theory. Like they're all right until they're proven wrong. Right. And with paranormal or poltergeist activity, it's really hard to prove anything wrong you know,
0: and... I think it's just a lot of stuff that humans cannot perceive yet. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, some can.
2: I mean, and Barry even said he openly admitted that she did display some kind of telekinetic powers, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Powers is a pretty tough uh, word, Ability? But ability, yeah. Yeah. Because he couldn't even explain a lot of the shit that he saw. But then he, he'll 180 it and say, well, you know, she was, you know, manifesting all this shit, and which is exactly what poltergeist activity it is. is. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not an outside entity coming in to fuck with you. It is the mind is a very powerful thing. Basically, it's your mind, right? Pretty much like manifesting and you know making all this shit happen.
0: And I've told you before, we don't know anything about what the human brain is capable of.
2: Oh, fuck no. I mean, the human only uses 10%
0: of their brain. Right. I mean, there's so much more that needs to be learned. So who is any one person to say that it's this or it's that Yep. until we can scientifically study it Mm -hmm. and gather hard evidence. I don't think it's right for somebody to come in and state this is the issue.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then, just leave.
2: Yeah. And for somebody in Barry Taft's field, you would think that 10 weeks doing research at a location of poltergeist activity with another guy and kids around, they had psychic, they had a team Mm -hmm. there. You would think that one of these motherfuckers would have thought, maybe we should get some kind of medical doctor. Maybe we should get You know, somebody, another psychologist or sociologist other than Barry Taft. Right. But at the end of the day, I think he was the one who was pretty much in charge of this whole thing. And if he would have had another person in his field of his stature that would disagree with him...
0: Maybe that, there could have been some sort of...
2: That would have probably yeah. not worked out for the best for Barry. Well, so I think, but
0: then we might have more information.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's very true. And that's, you know...
0: But, I mean, nobody me comes up to dispute him. Nobody, I'm, other than Brian Harris, nobody comes forward mm-hmm. to call out his bullshit.
2: And that's the thing. and I think that's why he left himself there alone being the only person in that field and didn't call any other kind of doctors whatsoever because that would give him, that would give his, he would be the only voice saying this is what happened. This is the correct theory because there's nobody else there to dispute it. Now, Kerry Gaynor though, he'll go on fucking record a hundred times over and be like, you know, this shit happened. We've seen things there that we have never seen before. We have photographic evidence which I will post pictures because the one picture of her sitting in the bed with that arc over her mm-hmm. is so fucking cool. And you can, they've had it analyzed so many times and it's not, it's not faked. It's not a reflection because there is no bend right there in the corner. Right. It's dimensional. You know, what he reported and what the kids reported are just, you know, even though I wish I wish the other three kids would come forward and say something, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah.
0: Well, and I was hoping that book would come out, but I don't think it ever is going to.
2: At this point, I really don't think it is either.
0: Because supposedly he did interview the other siblings as well.
2: Supposedly, yeah. And I don't know what the fuck he's waiting on, to be perfectly honest.
0: I don't it. know. I couldn't find any more information on it on his own website. Nope. It's just been kind of radio silence for a few years.
2: Yep. So I guess um, let's touch on, do you want to read a couple of these comments that, that Barry Taff is? And I, you know, there's a reason we're centralizing a lot of this around Barry Taff because like I had mentioned, he's literally was one of the guys on the ground and he is the one who has documented this the most and been the loudest about it. So, and he's so fucking peculiar about what he agrees to, what he doesn't agree to, and as we're about ready to see, he will answer comments on his website if you have comments about this, but he's very picky as to which ones he will answer.
0: Oh yeah, if you're going to kiss his ass, he'll answer you immediately. He loves it. Yeah. Um... Well, I mean, they start back in 2011 when this article was published. And to be honest, a lot of it is him plugging his book Mm -hmm. and people kissing his ass. There's
2: And see, and that's another thing I wanted to touch on, too. Now, I wish he would have published this as notes or like an essay. Yeah. As opposed to a novel. Because, I mean, dude's got to get paid. Well, but that's his main concern. That's his main concern at this point. It would have been a lot more respectful, Respectful, like, for me. I would have respected the research a lot more if it was not published in book form.
0: Right. Like, it, maybe in a journal. In a
2: journal or something yeah. like that, yeah.
0: Um, okay, so I have one specific one highlighted from September 27th of 2013. And... um A person commented and said, do you think it could have been an incubus? And we had talked about that prior to recording. And he said that the data strongly suggested that it was immense poltergeist outbreak as opposed to a discarnate entity attacking Doris. Uh, When the phenomena moves with the person, that indicates that it is not an incubus but in RSPK situation, which is that, those three variables of the mm-hmm. psycho-telekinesis. Um But that's contradictory to me because isn't an incubus supposedly attached to a person?
2: Technically, yeah. I think, honestly, it could go both ways. Okay. But another reason it's contradictory is because he's the one, he comes forth and says, we don't have that much data. We don't have enough data to you know, say that it did or didn't, you know, well, and also he did he
0: says he doesn't believe in paranormal activity. It's all in like from the brain. Mm-hmm. So for him to acknowledge that an incubus might exist contradicts himself. Exactly. I have so many notes, like all over these comments. I'm like, mm-hmm. um, people are like pouring their hearts out with their stories. And he's just like, Oh, thanks for the compliment, which is like their first line. Like, oh, I'm really interested in your book. I'm so glad that you do this type of research. And then they tell their problems. And he basically just says, thanks for the compliment. Mm -hmm. And then doesn't really offer any kind of analysis. Yeah. Yeah, And again, he says there was no MD or psychiatrist. It was only in the book in the movie Mm -hmm. that that was portrayed. Uh, Again, more uh, book plugs, Yeah, just like, oh, read the book and you'll find out. And I had this highlighted and I know I said it earlier. He says himself, your theory must conform to your data, not the reverse. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he did it. And then one poster says that they find their references to desire privacy baffling because her children are being attacked. She's being attacked. Why wouldn't she want to bring this out into the public? and try to get some solace for her family. And he said the last thing she wanted was for more attention. She was embarrassed and humiliated, which I'm sorry, rape victims are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if she was or was not being raped by a specter, she thought she was. And why would you just like go out into public and say yeah. that? Who the
2: fuck thing? are you going to tell that to? And I mean, granted in 2000, 17 I'm sure people are a lot more open-minded to that kind of thing, but this yeah. is 1970 1974. Right. And I mean, and half the reason she probably didn't was because of people like him.
0: Coming in and saying, oh, I don't believe this is actually happening to you. I'm going to find out what's wrong with yep. you because it must be you.
2: Yeah, and then after not coming to any conclusion whatsoever while he was there... They just up and leave.
0: But still uses this case as
2: as his a cornerstone
0: in, in his career. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, another contradictory thing I found that he posted, and it's just a highlighted line out of a very long post. He says, We now know that by magnetically shielding such environments combined with the proper anti-seizure medications taken by those at the loci of the event's May turn these events off at their core, like okay, how can you know, but they may help and yeah. you contradicted yourself within the same sentence, yeah, um, he says that PGAs, the poltergeist agents c- become annoyed or angry at somebody suggesting that it's caused by psychokinesis. I mm-hmm. feel like if you tell somebody something that could be causing their problem, they would be open to f- trying to figure out okay. What's happening? How can I help this? Okay, it might be me. What can I do to change it? Mm -hmm. So he didn't even tell her. He just wrote up this whole theory.
2: Pretty much. And that's probably the part that bothers me the most is he never... He knew her. He spent 10 weeks with her. But yet he never comes forward and tells her any of this stuff. He just leaves. And then after the fact decides that this is the most famous thing because as of now, he's been involved in 2,500 paranormal cases, mm-hmm. whether it be hauntings, poltergeists, whatever it might be. This is the one that is the most famous because right. of the original book in the movie. And, I mean, it's pretty much his bread and butter. He still does conferences on this fucking case.
0: Yeah. Um, there's one lady that wrote to him describing events that happened to her in her life, and she goes into detail And she also is sure to state that she doesn't drink. She doesn't do drugs. She's not a religious zealot. Mm -hmm. Um, She does say she believes she has a psychic twinkle, her words. (laughs) Um, I mean, she just pours her heart out to this guy. And again, it's like, thank you very much. Your compliments are appreciated. And then he, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's so pretentious. He basically tells her to... Read the book. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't... Re- I mean, there's a paragraph about it, but it, it's basically saying, read the book, my 44 years of experience, and I'm so sorry. He just aggravates the shit out of me because she's looking for an answer. And again, he's not willing
2: nope.
0: to... He, he doesn't say, contact me nope. personally. Maybe we can talk about this.
2: He always references his book.
0: Yes. Oh, and then she responds... And again, she's like, Thank you so much for your speedy reply. Like she's still kissing his ass mm-hmm. because she wants answers. And then he says, Oh, well, I've had my own psychic experiences growing up. And I haven't written down like now he's a fucking psychic. Yeah. Are you kidding me?
2: Yeah. I'm telling you.
0: <laughs> I just it doesn't line up with his previous theory. And he talks about his abilities and his precognitive, clairvoyant, telepathic experiences. But and he just yeah, he doesn't cannot, believe. He doesn't believe in the paranormal. Yeah. Uh, it just blows my mind. And I mean, since our ghost hunt, and I have, I calculated it the other day, I've listened to over a thousand hours of podcasts.
2: Jesus. That's more. Uh,
0: dude, mm-hmm. I sit at work and it's autopilot. I listen to podcasts for. I would say anywhere from nine to 11 hours a day Good. and that's not including weekends. And so I've heard and read things where everybody has psychic ability.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. You just have everybody to be does.
0: open to it and yep. learn how to tap into it. Exactly. But you know, his original theory is that these three factors have to happen mm-hmm. in order for this uh, poltergeist activity to occur. But then he's saying, oh, I'm telepathic and I'm clairvoyant.
2: It's fucking aggravating. It's so
0: frustrating. And then it's like on to more book plugs. Yeah, there's just so many comments. And then finally, um, somebody asks him, so has anybody else from the team come forward to give their account of what happened? He doesn't even respond.
2: Doesn't even respond. Nope.
0: So, yeah. sorry to rant on you there, Barry no, Taft, yeah. but damn, that's frustrating.
2: It's so frustrating because um, he does have the credentials, I'm not going to lie, but obviously he's in love with himself enough and he's not open to anything other than what he's saying. And if you don't agree with him, you're pretty much wrong or crazy or drunk.
0: Well, yeah, and he said that people that have tried to piggyback off of this case are emotionally unstable or just looking for a financial gain.
2: Yeah, because he's not trying to plug a book, mm-hmm. right?
0: So what are you, Barry Tapp? Are you emotionally unstable or just looking for a financial gain? Or both?
2: It's the financial gain, probably. So with all that behind <sighs> us, let's like these cigarettes, and then yeah. we can get to our theories.
0: Yes! Oh, man, that dude that gets my heart pounding. Oh, I know.
2: I was sitting there reading his biography, and that alone, I was just, I literally was sitting there just shaking my head. I'm just like God damn, I was like, this guy is something else, man. And like I said, I hate basing a lot of this episode around him, but for obvious reasons, you you almost, when you talk about Doris Vyther, you have to.
0: You can't look up her name without getting without his getting information. Him. Yeah. Yep. yep. Which is sad because I it's her story and there should be more about her and less about him.
2: I agree. I agree completely. So what is your theory on the events that took
0: place. Mine specifically mm-hmm. is probably a mixture of everybody else's combined. I do think that she had some mental illness. I agree. I don't think it was seizures. I don't think it was epilepsy. I but so I do think that she experienced some trauma in her childhood and did know how to cope with it. And may- maybe she did possess some sort of psychic ability and then projected it at a later time. I I do think that she was physically assaulted, mm-hmm. either by her own telekinesis or by an entity attracted to her torment. That's good. I mean, I wasn't there. I yeah. didn't experience it. I don't know. Uh, I've read some theories saying that She was potentially abused sexually by her dad, Mm -hmm. her uncle, maybe even her brother. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, that would cause some severe mental trauma.
2: And that would touch base on a lot of the, you know, spectrophilia, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: that would make sense. And that would also continue into her relationships with men in her future.
2: Exactly. And I mean, there's not too many theories. I mean... You know, like, when we do unsolved cases, there's usually, you know, a few different theories on what happened. But this is literally, is it paranormal or poltergeist-related, or is she just crazy? Mm -hmm. I mean, personally, like, I guess my whole thing is, you know, poltergeist activity is, you know, stress-induced and, like, trauma-induced. And I think she had a fucked-up enough life that it's... You know, inevitable. I don't... And, you know, obviously, like you had said, I wasn't there. But judging by the eyewitness accounts, the photographs that were taken, mm-hmm. something was there. Absolutely. Whether it was caused by her or not. But, yeah, I do think she she had enough trauma and enough stress in her early life. And even in her older life. I mean, she was a single mom raising four fucking kids living in a small... Small house. Yeah. You can't fucking tell me that she wasn't fucking stressed 24-7. No,
0: she was doing the best she could yeah. in the situation she had. hmm And, ugh, man, she just went through hell.
2: I do. I really, I honestly feel for her because. Oh, yeah. Even after her passing, it pisses me off that one of the few people that she confided in, she didn't tell very many people about what was going on. You know, she told, you know, Carrie Grainer and, you know, Barry Taff about what was happening, and she was seeking help. Yeah. She wanted fucking help. And Carrie, I mean, is literally the only advocate out there still now that is like, she was not crazy. This was happening. I saw it myself. We have photographic evidence of it. You know, her kids saw the shit. Her kids fucking had an entity that they named. Exactly. because
0: Because it, it was around all was the time. It was around
2: all the time. And then the other half is you literally got a guy making his living off of this case, claiming that she's a crazy alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But on the, in the same breath, he'll say, well, this happened and and I can't truly explain it but he'll write off everything else but when you bring to his attention well you said this and you said that and these photographs are real he literally won't fucking answer Yeah, he cherry picks the shit out of everything
0: he has a narrative he wants to stick to it and Mm -hmm. he just won't respond to anybody that questions that narrative
2: exactly exactly So, I don't know. In my opinion, I definitely believe there was some poltergeist activity. And, you know, judging by her background and her circumstances and her life, yeah, it's fucking definitely possible. I mean, I feel bad for her and her kids. Yeah. You know? Well,
0: and I had read a psychology study that children who are forced to grow up at a young age are mentally stuck in that age. Mm -hmm. So the theory that poltergeist activity is connected to teenage girls specifically. Puberty, yeah. It makes sense that if she's mentally stuck there, if she did in fact become pregnant when she was 16, Mm -hmm. 15, 16.
2: And then kicked
0: out. Yeah. Disowned. Exactly. Just had to make it on her own. Yeah. Then she would mentally be stuck in that age. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, it's possible that a poltergeist, that activity could be surrounding her because of her mental state.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree.
0: But then, I mean, if she was playing with Ouija boards, it's possible that some sort of negative energy attached itself to her.
2: It's very possible. Given what might have happened to her when she was younger might explain the the rape aspect, I suppose.
0: That's how I feel about it. That's
2: personally how I feel, too. I mean...
0: The lack of information...
2: Any yeah, any other like poltergeist activity that you hear about? It's you don't hear about that.
0: Mm-mm. Well, and one of the articles on Javier's site, ghosttheory.com, dot com, mm-hmm. he his fiance speculates that it's similar to the Bell Witch.
2: Yes, and that. Did you listen to Astonishing Legends yeah. Part One and Two of that?
0: Um, I didn't listen to Astonis- Astonishing Legends, but I've I've heard several cases oh, on the Beltway. Right.
2: You really need to. That's my go-to podcast, okay. right there. I and will they, check that one out. They are so fucking good at research. It's unreal. And don't get me wrong, they're rich guys. They have a whole team of people to research for them. That must so. be nice. I know.
0: Uh but, on don't that get note wrong, on that note, uh donate to Justin's Patreon. Yeah, Patreon. <laughs> to my Patreon, so
2: I can I have people who volunteer their time and I'm very grateful for that. I am I'm very picky about my research. So I do appreciate that. But so uh are you you know I'm just gonna say this, like when Savannah came in here, she was shaking. Oh, she yeah. was fucking scared shitless. It's, it's not that bad. Is no, it?
0: I'm I'm a little better now you're after good now. these three beers. I'm I'm better.
2: Yeah, it's not that bad. I'm easy to work with. See, told you, I told you. Everybody's always <laughs> like, no,
0: no, oh, man. It's not that you're not easy to work with. It's just like I'm a listener and I'm in the group and I know what people expect, and it's, it's a tough crowd.
2: It's a tough crowd. Yeah, everybody's a critic. Everybody but, in the group, but, but,
0: but they're also very supportive of you. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody has your back. Oh yeah. I love it. So don't diss me, okay? <laughs> I did my best.
2: Well, so far everybody's jealous that you're the first in-house in-house person. I posted that picture about half an hour ago. Everybody's like, "Who oh, the she get to go there and do an episode?" I was like, "She lives a half an hour away."
0: <laughs> Plus, I kind of strong-armed you into it. Yeah. I was just supposed to was, do research, and then I was like, "No, I need to talk about this." No, and I
2: am totally fucking cool with that. Totally cool. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, thank you so oh, no much. No problem.
2: No problem. I'm glad you, you enjoyed me and Boone's, uh,
0: Oh, I loved it. Review episode. He came home and he was like, is it posted yet? <laughs> and then We laid in bed and listened to it. And again, um, thank you both for stating that I am able to murder him and get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> now I have that fear factor. He'll yeah. never forget.
2: Yeah, because you're capable now.
0: But obviously, I'm the first suspect.
2: You listen to nine or ten hours of podcasts a day. Yeah. True crime related, too.
0: Absolutely. True paranormal. crime, paranormal, anything mysterious. Yeah,
2: that's right. That's why we love it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, thank you, Savannah, for joining me. I appreciate it. Have had a good time. Me
0: too. Thank I'm glad you. you
2: had fun, and I suppose I will see everybody else on the flip side.